Amen. I invite you to open your copy of God's Word with me this morning to Romans chapter 4, uh, continuing in, in verse 25, where we were Friday night. If you're using uh, one of the Bibles that's uh, under your seat or under the seat in front of you, that's on page 959. On Good Friday evening, as we worship together, we explored uh, the first of two sides of the coin of salvation. There we read in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, that he was crucified in our place, crucified for our sins. This morning, we'll look at the second half of that verse, Romans 4, 25, and the second side of that coin of salvation, which is uh, not only forgiveness of sins, but is also justification with God being made right with God through his promised son, Jesus. Now, on Friday night, as we gathered, Good Friday, we looked at, at that first half of Romans four twenty-five. Jesus was delivered up, crucified for our trespasses. And we found there that Jesus' death on the cross was necessary to pay for our sins. It was necessary. Our sins are both great and small, uh, uh, intentional and unintentional. He was placed on the cross for those things. And that only by his perfect life, Could he be the perfect forgiveness, a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins? Now, this morning, we'll turn our attention to the second half of Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and to the other side of that coin of salvation, which is uh, the very resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, certainly on, on a resurrection Sunday, on an Easter Sunday like today, there are many aspects of Christ's resurrection that we could consider together as we look at God's word. We could consider the arguments against his being raised versus the reality of his resurrection. We could consider the manner in which his resurrection happened. We could even this morning look at the very narrative of the events in the Gospels uh, pertaining to the resurrection and relive that part of the story again this morning. But today, though, I would rather that we consider what happened for sinners in the resurrection of Jesus. What happened for you? What happened for me when Christ was raised from the dead? This resurrection day, I invite you to consider not just that Jesus is risen from the dead. Certainly he is risen. He's risen indeed. But I would ask you to consider this morning, most especially why it matters that he's risen. Today, we look at the resurrection of Jesus, which is the very work of God to defeat both sin and death as only God can to ultimately provide what we need most which is to be right with God. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. I would invite you to stand with me as we read this one short but very meaningful verse. Paul the Apostle, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to the church in Rome some 2,000 years ago, says this. I'll begin in verse 23. The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also, It will be counted that his righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. In this short verse, even second half of a verse this morning, we find, and those of you who are here week to week, you know that it is not often that I preach only one verse, much less half a verse. So this is... This is a special one for you, okay? In just half a verse, we find a lot. Now, in the first half of this verse, on Friday night, we discovered much that was there. We discovered that Jesus was delivered up. He was handed over, betrayed by sinful men. 
But all of that happening according to the plan of God, the perfect plan of God. Nothing happened in Jesus' crucifixion that God didn't know about, that God didn't plan, that God didn't perfectly intend. And that finally he was delivered up to pay the penalty for our sins. Well, likewise, we see also three things from the second half of this verse. First, that Jesus is raised from the dead, both physically and bodily. Physically and bodily. Now, though it is not Paul's intention here in this verse to give evidence or argument for the, for the factuality, the historicity of the, of the resurrection, he's not trying to prove that it happened. His assertion of Jesus' resurrection here is based in, in historic fact. Paul himself was convinced by the testimony of the disciples, the 12 disciples of Jesus, about specifically the empty tomb in which Jesus was laid. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, testify to the empty tomb and to the angels who were present that resurrection morning on the first day of the week as Mary, the friend of Jesus, arrived there uh, on the third day after Jesus' death. We read in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, a similar telling of the same event, that upon Mary's approach to the tomb to finish embalming Jesus' dead body, she is met by an angel who says, Do not be alarmed. You see Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. That from Mark chapter 16, verses 6 and 7, but similar account also in Matthew chapter 28 and Luke chapter 24. Indeed, the empty tomb has been one of the hardest aspects of the resurrection narrative to deny, even to this day. The tomb is still empty. There are no bones in a tomb marked as Jesus's. It was especially difficult to deny even in the day in which it happened because the tomb itself was guarded by Roman guards under the penalty of death should anything happen to the body. And yet even today, even then, the tomb was empty. We're reminded of the empty tomb uh, in terms of Jesus' physical and bodily resurrection. But here we're also reminded in, in, in just this uh, first part of, uh, uh, of the second half of this verse that Jesus was raised of his physical appearances to the disciples. Perhaps the most memorable of these is at the end of John's gospel, John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, where we read this. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them, with the other disciples, when Jesus came, when he appeared to them the first time. So the other disciples told him, we, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe, Thomas says. The gospel writer John continues, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Let us not forget that this is not the only appearance of Jesus to the disciples after his death, after his resurrection, but one of many that Paul will recount in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8, where there he writes that Jesus appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, says Paul. 
Jesus has been raised from the dead physically and bodily. And we celebrate that. We, we worship him for that today. We recognize that he is no longer in the tomb. Jesus rose physically and bodily, but he also rose according to the plan of God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was delivered over by sinful men to be crucified according to the plan of God? And also we find that he is raised from the dead physically and bodily according to the plan of God. If we return to 1 Corinthians 15, we would read there in verse 4, Paul saying that he was buried, Jesus was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That little phrase, in accordance with the Scriptures, is incredibly important for us to recognize and to understand. This is to say that every part of Christ's death and his resurrection was known and planned by God, and it's even attested to in the Old Testament scriptures. Those are the scriptures that the Apostle Paul was referring to. The New Testament not yet being completed. The Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, was all that the Christians had in the first days of the church. And Paul says all of the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, are telling us that Jesus had to be raised. The disciples even include this reality of, of the Old Testament scripture speaking to Jesus' resurrection as part of the gospel message, even from its first days. And so in Acts chapter 2, at Pentecost, when Peter preaches the first Christian sermon in the history of the world, in Acts chapter 2, verses 24 through 32, Peter cites Psalm chapter 16, verses 8 through 11 where he says, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. There in his sermon, giving that as biblical evidence and foretelling of the risen Jesus that they are all witnesses to. It's not just the Psalms that speak to this reality, that speak to the fact that the the Christ, the Messiah, must be raised from the dead, but also even in the suffering servant passage. Isaiah chapter 53, verses from which we, we read together on Friday night. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 11 and 12, we read this. Isaiah, prophesying some 700 years before Jesus is born, says this. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This servant, this this chosen servant of God who suffers unto death cannot receive the reward for his death, the spoils of victory that come unless his death is not final. And neither can he make intercession. Can, Can he plead the cause for sinners to a holy God if he is not living? And that Jesus, the fact that Jesus is living, that he is resurrected, he is the righteous one who stands at the right hand of the Father to make intercession for sinners, is further underlined by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, when he says, Consequently, he, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Friends, Jesus was raised according to the plan of God. For the purposes of God, which include that he would be the only perfect advocate and representative for sinners like you and like me to the only true and holy God of the universe with whom he is both one and the same. Jesus was raised from the dead physically and bodily. He was raised from the dead according to the plan of God. That was God's purpose. It was his intention. It was not his plan B and it wasn't by accident. But finally, in these verses or in this, this short verse, we see this. That Jesus was raised for our justification. We find here that Jesus is raised to provide 
justification. That is divine acquittal as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Now, Paul uses the same little word here that he used in the first half of that verse. That little three-letter word, for. Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised for our justification. We saw Friday night that that what Paul intends to, to be saying here is that Jesus was delivered up. He was betrayed because of our trespasses, because of our sins. Our sins caused him to be put to death. And here again, Paul says he was raised for our justification. That little word for means something a little bit slightly different on the second half of this verse. It means that Jesus was raised uh, for the goal of our justification. Our sins were the cause and our justification is the goal of Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. It was because of sins that Jesus died on the cross. And it was for the end result of the acquittal of sinners, the declaring of innocence of sinners that Jesus was raised. And in this, we find that Jesus must be raised from the dead if there's any way for sinners to be right with God. For in this way, justification, that means being right with God, being reconciled to God, is made possible because the full penalty for sins has been paid. And the one who bore the penalty of death for sins could not be conquered by it. Thus, all who are united to the risen and victorious Jesus by faith in him are likewise not conquered by sin, uh, by the sin for which Christ died. And neither are they conquered uh, uh, by the death which he defeated. There is in the American legal system a concept called double jeopardy in which someone has been tried for a crime and found not guilty. They can never again be tried for that same crime. Double jeopardy or or, or the avoidance of double jeopardy is absolutely was at play in Christ's death and resurrection for us. He dies on the cross to pay for our sins. We stand in front of God, a holy judge, holy and good, righteous judge. We stand before him guilty. Guilty of all of the sins that we have committed. Guilty of every moral failing that, that we know and are aware of. And we stand receive the full penalty for our guilt, for our sin. And yet, as the judge's gavel is about to fall, Jesus steps in into our place. Not to say, no, 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 don't punish this one. Let's just, just look the other way, ignore this sin. No, Jesus stands in, in the place of us, the defendant, to take the sentence for us. A good, a holy, a just God cannot... Avoid judging sin. If he does, that makes him unjust. That makes him unholy. He's not, he's no longer good. And yet Jesus stands in the place of sinners to say, punish me instead. Everything you were going to pour out, you pour out on me. I'll take it. I'll take it. And for everyone who will unite themselves to me by faith in me, turning from their sin, I will bear the penalty for them so that they'll not ever be charged with that crime again. So that they will be called, never be called guilty for that which I have provided pardon. Paul says he is raised for our justification. This is the Greek word dikaiosin, and you'll want to remember that. (laughs) Dikaiosin, which means justification, divine acquittal. This is the process of being declared by God totally guiltless for sins. Totally guiltless for sins. This is the aspect of Christ's death that is so pertinent and so necessary for us. This is the why does his resurrection matter, friends. Justification with God, acquittal from our sins, is the greatest need any one of us has in life. 
financial security for tomorrow, a happy family, a job that you enjoy. These are not your greatest needs in life. Your greatest need in life is to be made right with the God who created you for a relationship with him, a relationship of love and worship and obedience, a relationship that each one of us has scorned, a relationship that each one of us has, has scoffed at, has rejected in our sin against God. Our greatest need is to be right with him again. This need exists because apart from Christ, we bear the guilt for our sin. We bear the responsibility for dealing with our sin. It is our sin that separates us from God with an incalculable and humanly irreparable distance. It is our willful and intentional sin that earns for us death and eternal torment in hell for our treason against a holy God. But listen, Christ has died to pay the penalty for sin. He himself has fulfilled the sentence for our crimes. And in his being raised from the dead, he proves that the penalty of sin, though paid, now no longer has any hold over him. And so all who are in him, that is, joined to Christ through turning from sin and trusting in him, are likewise free from the guilt of sin. And they are likewise made victorious over its penalty. And since then, Christ is raised and the penalty has been paid. All who are alive with Christ by faith in him are declared righteous by him and because of him. Friends, that is good news on Resurrection Sunday. We are declared righteous. We are justified by and because of Christ. Righteousness is doing what God requires. Righteousness means having never once sinned in your life. Ever, not just like today, like I'm so it's still early. It's 1115. It's still early. But being righteous means having never sinned, not just this morning, but ever. You know, we know that that all of us are not righteous. All of us have sinned. All of us have committed moral indiscretions, to put it lightly. All of us have violated the conscience that God has placed within us as image bearers of him. All of us are guilty. And yet, this righteousness that we cannot achieve on our own, never have done, it is daily ignored. It is daily eschewed by every one of us. And we all stand guilty before God because of it. You think, well, I'm not that bad, Stephen. I haven't killed anybody in my life. You know, I haven't embezzled millions of dollars. I'm not, I'm not that terrible of a person. Maybe not. But the Bible still says you're a sinner. The Bible says you're still responsible for your sin. If you were to turn back just maybe a page in your Bible to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, the Apostle Paul cites uh, from Psalms 14 and 53 where he says this, None is righteous. No, not one. None is righteous. Not one. No one has ever not sinned. No one understands. He continues. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. Uh, And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Friends, Paul is talking about you and he's talking about me. He continues in verses 22 through 25 of the same chapter, Romans chapter 3. At the end of verse 22, he says, There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have pursued unrighteousness. No one is righteous. And, they, but he, and he continues in verse 24, But they are justified. They are made right by God, or right with God, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is, as a substitutionary sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. All are sinners, Paul says, and yet all may be justified through faith in Jesus as a gift of God's grace. So Paul can say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake, he, that is God, made him, who is Christ, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. This is why the resurrection matters, church. Because it proves that Christ's death was sufficient to save any sinner. No matter how sinful. And because his resurrection proves that he really is Lord of life. That he can't be conquered by sin or by death. God the Son in the flesh, who is the only one who cannot be conquered by sin. Who will not be held by death. Jesus Christ, this risen King, friends, understand this. He stood in your place on the cross to receive what you have earned for your denial of God. He hung on the cross and bled and died for your idolatry, for your lust, for your lies, for your hatred, and for every ugly, deadly sin that you have ever committed. Friends, there he died, satisfying our holy and good God's deserved punishment for all of those things. We, you want to know what sin looks like? You want to know what sin earns? Look at the cross. Look at the cross. This brutal, ugly, bloody death of Christ. That's what all of us deserve. And yet there Christ hangs, hung in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. There. He took the sentence we all deserved. And yet on the third day, On this day that we celebrate Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, so that as the only uh, as the only righteous one, he rose from the grave, having dealt with our unrighteousness. He paid for our unrighteousness on the cross and rose from the grave that he might give to us a righteousness, a rightness, a, a, a reconciliation with God that is not our own. It's not what we earned. It's not what we deserve, but it is what he gives by his grace. It is what is given to us, that righteousness, and declared to us by God because our sins have been paid for. And by faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and the risen Savior, we shall not be tried for our sins ever again. For the one who is in Christ, double jeopardy is not a reality. You're free from ever having, be, uh, ever having to be uh, judged or charged with the responsibility of your sins ever again. On Resurrection Sunday, Christian, this is good news for you. 
on Resurrection Sunday, non-Christian. This is incredibly good news for you. And so in light of the fact that Jesus was raised for our justification, physically and bodily, according to the plan of God, so that we might be made right with God, I implore you, I plead with you today, friend, you who do not yet know Christ, you who are still responsible for your sin because you've not trusted in Jesus, be justified to God today. Be made right with God today. Only by the simple act of turning from your sin, placing your faith in the risen Jesus. It's that simple. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this, not of yourselves. It's not by anything that you do on your own for yourself. It's the gift of God. God in his love desires to give us a gift of reconciliation with him. That, that gift comes with a price, but it's not a price that we pay. It's a price that he paid. And the price is his son on the cross dying for our sins. The gift comes to you. You receive the gift. gift. You unwrap the gift. You bring that gift into your life. The gift of being right with God simply by turning from your sins and your old way of living to trust in Jesus as your Savior. To make him king of your life. To get yourself off the throne of your heart so that Jesus might sit there rightly and follow him every day of your life. To be justified is as simple as that, friends. Christian, you today, If you have been justified, if you have tasted God's grace, if you've been made right with the creator, with your creator and the lover of your soul through faith in Jesus, then today on Resurrection Sunday, you celebrate the hope that you have for the life of godliness and righteousness that you've been saved to live. You celebrate, you revel in the hope of eternal life that has been purchased for you by the risen Jesus. Christian, today is a day of celebration. But not just this Resurrection Sunday, every Sunday. Because every Sunday when we gather, we celebrate the resurrection. Every Sunday when we gather, we celebrate that we have been saved from unrighteousness to righteousness. That we have been brought from death to life. That God has has spared no expense in sending his son to the cross and raising him from the dead to save us from our worthless life of sin. We celebrate that every Sunday. Every Sunday. Today, celebrate, revel in the hope of eternal life that's been purchased for you by the risen Jesus. Church, this is a day of great rejoicing. This is a day of great celebration. This is a day, friend, for you who do not know Jesus. This is a day of hope. You might know God who created you to know, love, and worship him. Simply by turning from your sin to trust in Jesus, to make him Savior, to make him Lord of your life. And to submit every aspect of your being to him this day and forever. And for that you'll receive a reward. The reward of eternal life that will far surpass any of the things you think are needs today. Justification with God is way more valuable uh, than being financially stable for the future. Being justified with God is way more valuable than having a good family life. Being right with God is far more valuable than having a healthy retirement or or even just uh, uh, food for the day. So don't leave here today not, not having the greatest need that you have met by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord who is risen from the grave. Just a moment, we're going to sing a, together a song of response. And this time of response is not just for those who don't know Jesus. Christian, this time of response is for you too. You've heard the word of God this morning. You've been reminded of the gospel. Uh, Prayerfully, the Holy Spirit is shaping your heart, even now, Christian, more and more to look like Christ.
you use this time of response this morning. I pray you would, you would avail yourself of every moment today to respond, Christian, even you, in celebration and in joy for what Christ has done for you on the cross. Friend, you who do not yet know Jesus, if today would be the day that you want to give your life to Christ, you want to trust him for salvation, you want to turn from your sin and walk in a new kind of life by making Jesus king of of your heart, of your life, of your soul, I'll be standing here to greet you this morning. I want to pray with you. I want to counsel with you about how you can have uh, assurance that you are saved, that you are right with God through faith in Christ this morning. So as we sing, you be bold, you be brave, you come and you uh, grab me, let me know what God is doing in your heart and in your life and let me counsel with you about how you can be right with God this morning. Don't let today go by without knowing where you stand with your creator. Let's pray.